0: When someone has your back in sports, we call it teamwork. Knowing someone's ready to help you out on the road, that has a name too, and that name is OnStar. If you've ever been faced with something as terrible as vehicle theft, OnStar can help. OnStar has the power of Stolen Vehicle Slowdown. It's a feature that enables an advisor to work with law enforcement to get your stolen ride back, slowing down your vehicle enough so that authorities have a chance to apprehend the crook who took it. OnStar can get your vehicle back to you quicker and safer. If you're ever faced with a theft, you can turn to OnStar because at a moment like that, the last thing you want is to be alone. Get OnStar on your team today. OnStar, be safe out there. OnStar is available on Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, and Cadillac. Requires select paid plan, cell reception, GPS signal, and working electrical system. Doesn't prevent theft, damage, or loss. Details at OnStar.com. Welcome to 30 for 30 Podcasts, my name is Jody Avergan. Today we wrap up our 10th anniversary series of podcasts. Looking back at many of our notable films here at ESPN, what impact those films had, and exploring how the story from those films has continued to develop. Today's film falls into that latter category of stories that continue to evolve, a story that just this last spring saw what might be the beginning of the end of a long-running stalemate in the college basketball world. Is the Fab Five back? Hiring of Juwan Howard as Michigan's head coach and turning heads in college basketball. That announcement showed that the ice between the University of Michigan and its most high-profile set of former basketball stars had begun to thaw. And just how things became so fraught between Juwan Howard, his teammates, and the university was one of the themes explored in the ESPN film The Fab Five.
1: You wanted to see them. They were
0: must-see
1: television on the run. Three on two to King. Oh! Already, baby! Here they go! The Wolverines! Fab Five came in there with their own rules as a whole bunch of young bucks with quote-unquote no experience.
0: In the fall of 1991, five freshman basketball players, Chris Weber, Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard, Jimmy King, and Ray Jackson, arrived on campus in Ann Arbor, Michigan. By the end of that season, they'd earned a Final Four berth, a National Championship game appearance, and become a cultural phenomenon. If you wore baggy shorts and black socks in the early 90s, the Fab Five had a lot to do with that.
1: If you were young and black, you were like, those are my boys. If you were old and white, you were going, oh my God, the criminals are taking over our sports and they're influencing our children.
0: Their first season saw a loss to hated Duke. Their second season together ended in another heartbreaking and this time infamous loss again in the national championship game.
2: Weber brings it into the front court. They have no timeouts. Oh, he causes too many many timeouts. That's a technical foul. He called a
1: timeout. Michigan doesn't have any.
0: After that, Chris Webber left Michigan for the NBA, but that was not the end of the Fab Five story. Years later, a scandal centering around Webber and Ed Martin, a booster to the program, brought NCAA sanctions onto Michigan, brought the banners down out of the rafters, and hardened what had already become a distant relationship between Webber, the school, and the rest of the Fab Five.
1: Chris Webber has been indicted on charges he lied to a grand jury about his dealings with a Michigan booster. We had to vacate all those wins and that we had to take down the championship banners from Chrysler Arena.
3: Rock me to the core because we have put so much into that. It's like snatching your life dreams away. When you mess up, there are consequences.
0: Now, you may recall that earlier this week, we had some of our fellow ESPN podcasters on discussing some of their favorite 30 for 30 films. For today's episode, a different colleague is here to talk about the film. He was not only the subject of the Fab Five, but also helped produce it. Jalen Rose is one of the hosts of the daily TV show Jalen and Jacoby, a show that originally started as a podcast and grew into a TV show. I recently sat down with Jalen in the green room near his studio, forgive the sound of the air conditioner in the background his co-host david jacoby also joined us and i was eager to talk to both of them about the state of jalen's relationship with the university of michigan and specifically chris weber who we should note did not participate in the film and has had a chilly relationship with jalen in the years since i learned a lot of new things in this interview i think you will too here we go jalen jacoby welcome to the 30 for 30 podcast thank you for doing this Thank you, thank you, thank you. Of course. You are far too kind. <laughs> I will say that long before I worked at ESPN, I was a fan of Jalen Jacoby, the podcast. I listened. And I I remember this film. You talked a lot about the making of it. And I was just wondering, you know, kind of why you felt like you were so open about that and why you wanted to talk about it as that process was going through.
3: The one thing that I felt was important wasn't only telling the story. It was the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Chris Webber had a separation from the university that I wanted to make sure if he was going to be a part of it, which he initially agreed to be a part of it, he can actually speak freely and it give him a chance to decompress a lot of the things that he probably had in his head or in his heart about what took place in Ann Arbor. So telling the story the timing of the story and getting everybody to participate initially was the base of trying to get it up and going
0: i mean jacoby did you realize there was all this these conversations no, happening behind the scenes no <laughs> you know
2: what i mean like this is uh obviously anyone who is of my age and loves basketball the way i do the fab five was one i'd say one of the most impactful basketball teams that has ever taken the floor like college pro whatever like the there is no other team that is branded the way they did and had the effect on culture the way they did especially when you are my age and i remember during this film you know part of this film is also in a in a weird way uh catalyst towards Jalen and jacoby because you went on bill simmons podcast formerly the bs report to do an interview promoting it and i remember driving to bristol and listening to it and being like I really like this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this this guy's good. I mean, this guy might have a career in
3: front of him. How about that? And the beauty of telling this story is the thing that gets understated is from 1995 to when the sanctions became something for public consumption and legitimacy, that was like 2000, 2001. They didn't acknowledge us during that period. The university wanted to get away from what they felt we brought to the table, Mm. which was actually one of the greatest things that happened for the university. It's almost like when you have a player-friendly coach and then you make a change, it's like we're going to get a disciplinarian and or the opposite. So for as much acclaim, notoriety, Help student enrollment definitely help the bottom line. Once we left campus, it was like, whew, let's take a deep breath. We need to recover. We need to take the university back. We don't want the team to be identified and the sports program to be identified by the people in uniform. We want it to be dictated by the university and the faces be the head coaches like it had always been in the past. It gets lost that from 95 to like 2000, when there wasn't an NCA separation, when there wasn't any discipline, that we still didn't get the level of appreciation from our university. No numbers got retired. No tributes took place. None of that actually happened before the Chris Webber sanctions actually
0: became public. Jacob, did you feel like... Um this film was part of a moment where, I felt like it was part of a moment where people were starting to realize a lot of what's sort of broken at the heart of college sports. Yes. you know,
2: And this team was really that because when you're in your young teens and you're a fan you're just like oh these guys are gods like they're playing basketball they look different than everybody else they're cooler than any team I've ever seen they got bald heads I'm getting some black socks mom let me get some black socks mom I need I need shorts double XL mom you know and like, I want to shave my head she's like no but then it's like <laughs> but it's, it's like it's like it's they time. were they were if you only knew. cultural influencers at that time and then when the film comes out you realize there's a business behind all this and they kind of missed out on that part of it and you can influence an entire generation of children you can, you can swing pop culture a little further towards hip hop than it was previously but you can also still be somewhat manipulated and taken advantage of while doing so and he saw his jersey in the window for $75 uh, the number 4 and he said they're selling that for $75 and that goes to somebody and I have to borrow money to put gas in my car. And I remember thinking to myself, he's not coming back here.
3: I didn't feel like a college kid anymore. I felt like a professional athlete that wasn't getting paid. I remember we were in Chicago one time, and we went downtown to the Nike outlet, and we walked past a display. It said, Fab Five Nikes. That's when you start realizing having your own shoe doesn't necessarily put money in your pocket. Those are the things I think the film was able to expose. And now that Jawan has the job, I have to make sure I stress any hatchet, any negative energy, any unrest that existed between the Fab 5 myself, and the University of Michigan is one thousand percent over, done, and buried.
0: And is that because their move in hiring Jawan kind of showed you something, or is it because you're just saying we got to move forward? Well, no, and it I'm showed me something it.
3: because. Over from 1994 to 2018, both sides just tolerated each other. When the university felt like it was in their best interest to represent remnants of the Fab Five, they did it, and/or vice versa. But they really showed their level of respect for what we accomplished by hiring Juwan as the head coach, and he deserved the opportunity by the work and the discipline and the sacrifice in the years of coaching that he put in.
0: Um going into the film, I mean, you get you get pretty personal there. You know, you talk about your dad, some of the other relationships. Was that something you were preparing for going in, or is it just one of those things where kind of comes out as you're talking? So
3: the one thing I told myself about the Fab Five Doc is I wanted this to be the Bible of the story. And when this is when this is played on television, I'll never have to answer any questions or ever have to ask have any regrets. I'm going to say exactly what I feel about everything, whether it's University of Michigan, my disdain for Duke, whatever it was, I was going to say exactly how I felt, and whoever didn't like it, so what. That That was my approach. That was my mentality.
1: But then came their first real challenge, a matchup against the defending national champions, the Duke Blue Devils.
3: For me, Duke was personal. I hated Duke, and I hated everything I felt Duke stood for. Schools like Duke didn't recruit players like me. I felt like they only recruited black players that were Uncle Tom's.
0: The Duke thing. Do either of you remember what it was like when that Quote came out Because it came out Before the film came out So yeah. there was a There was a firestorm Before the film And Grant wrote a piece In the New York Times and Right Yep Grant yeah. Hill wrote a piece It was on the Times Most emailed list For about a week 100,000 people Shared it on Facebook In the first couple of days That it came out I mean it was a, It was a thing And it was a thing Before the film came out So do you remember Trying to like Scramble Or were you saying Oh this is good The only publicity- scram- I did one scramble I did
3: one scramble I picked up the phone And called Grant Hill Oh who's actually a friend of mine to this day. And what the world don't know, we died laughing. Because the first thing I said was, who did you pay to write that?
2: Well, yeah, let's, let's go back up a little bit. So, pe- <laughs> so people that, that might not be, is, is it, at the time you and I were involved in this, but it was like, you said what about Duke and Grant Hill in the film?
3: I basically was trying to give people a snapshot of what I felt as a recruit what many players felt as NCAA participants, past and present, what a lot of fans and media felt, but nobody actually
0: had the courage
3: to say. But it is uncomfortable when you say it.
0: Well, you phrased it in a particular – I mean, you used a the, the two-word well, no, phrase.
3: Well, well that's, that's different. <laughs> so I'm going to go there. Okay. So I talked about the type of player that Duke recruited and why I was a McDonald's All-American – and got letters from every school in the country, but didn't get one from them. But my teammate, Chris Weber, who went to Detroit Country Day, did. The only difference is the high schools that we went to, okay? And our backgrounds and our dynamics. I came from a single-parent dynamic. He came from a two-parent dynamic. That's what they were recruiting. That's one. The other thing was the type of black athlete that they were recruiting. And it showed me the ignorance of people and of media types because they took my comments as something I was saying in 2011, not as something that I thought in 1987, 88, 89, 90. And so that created, you know, a sort of firestorm. And I also in the doc acknowledged that that was an irresponsible, undisciplined, immature way to describe it. But usually that's what teenagers do, do things that aren't well thought out. What? Did, tell me about the phone call with Grant. The phone call with Grant. <laughs> so uh, I reached out to him, yo, what's happening? And then the first thing I said was, because I know for those that don't know, like, his mother went to school with Hillary Clinton. They were roommates, and when I read the op-ed piece, I'm like, "Somebody in the White House wrote that." For me. <laughs> I'm like, like, you ain't write that. And he understood where I was coming from, and I understood where he was coming from because he had so many people in his world. Like, you want to talk to you like that? You, 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 you ain't got. You're gonna let you gonna let them talk like y'all were the back to back champions. You beat them four times. I know you ain't gonna just let them clown you like that. So to represent his best interests and to have a voice for himself. I welcomed and appreciated him speaking up for the dynamics of Duke basketball. No problems at all. Jacoby, what do you
2: think is the legacy of this team? It's It's interesting. When you talk about legacy, a lot of people look at the culture stuff, right? A lot of people think about the baggy shorts and the bald heads and the black socks and the harachis, right? But when you watch the doc, I think one thing that that it reminds you of is the basketball. You know, like I think they played with so much joy and passion and rage. Like when you watch that documentary – They do things that are not allowed in college and professional basketball now. Like, after they dunk, they taunt. After they score, (laughs) they taunt. After a timeout, they taunt.
1: Jalen was one of the great trash talkers of all time. I understood that the mental aspect of the game was just as important as the physical.
2: And there's Jalen Rose going after Layton in a little bit.
1: Trash talking in sports originally, from the playgrounds, was never about getting in your face. It was about getting in your head. And that's what these kids were doing. When they talk trash, they were getting in your head. But it got distorted by people who weren't really that familiar with what they were saying. When you're not familiar, uh, you can be afraid.
2: The legacy will always be the socks and the and the, the shorts and the harachis, but no one cares if you don't win. None of that matters if you don't win. And I think that this is... I would put the UNLV team up there that this is probably in my lifetime, which is 40 years, the most impactful college basketball team. But I think that when I, people use the word impactful, and they talk about the impact on the culture, but I really think the basketball gets overlooked sometimes. That When you watch that film, watch the basketball.
3: For me, this is what our legacy is. We were smarter than people gave us credit for. That was our legacy. We were like, oh okay, we must wear Nikes but we're not wearing those ugly ones. Y'all need to go back to the lab and bring us something that we like. And then when they knew we were serious, the Nike rep came back and he had like a big bag of like 20 shoes and he just dumped them all on the floor and we picking them up, looking like, nah, we don't like these, nah, we don't like these. We picked the Hirachi. Nike didn't pick the Hirachi. We decided that's the shoe we wanna rock. We decided that we wanted to have a voice and a personality, that we weren't going to be muzzled, that five people can go to the same school and not just pick a college and try to get 20 points per game and go to the league because that's what people were doing at that time too, trying to be the best player where they went to school. So there were so many things that were memorable and uh, it was the best time of basketball in my life.
0: After the break, Jalen discusses how Michigan's hiring of Jawan Howard is not just helping to heal past wounds, it has changed how he feels about a controversial keepsake from the Fab Five era. 30 for 30 podcast is brought to you by Delta Airlines. Delta flies to 300 cities around the world. That's 300 cities where everyone does the same things you do. That's 300 cities where the people in those 300 cities think they're the only ones who know about that one place. 300 cities where people miss someone in one of the other 299 cities. 300 cities where people sing in the car or in the shower or both. Poorly. Delta isn't flying to 300 cities merely to bring us together, but to show us we're not that far apart in the first place. Delta. Keep climbing. Keep climbing. 30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by State Farm. Whether in the game of basketball or in life, having an MVP on your side makes all the difference. In basketball, a multi-talented elite playmaker who can be called upon in crunch time not only helps the team succeed, but makes the players around them better. In life, your State Farm agent strives to be your MVP, ready to come through in the clutch when you need it the most. Whether it's buying a new home, coping with a car accident, or building the foundation for your future, you can feel confident knowing you don't have to go it alone. With a State Farm agent on your team, you'll be well prepared for whatever life brings your way.
1: Jalen initiated the baggy shorts. We were tired of the little shorts. (laughs) So we went to coach one day after practice. And uh, we say, Fish, look, we need to be comfortable. We can't have those shorts you see in Utah with John Stockton, Carl Malone. And we don't want to look like that. You know, we like the shorts like how Michael Jordan wear with the Bulls, but longer. Bottom line, it came down to Coach. He said, if y'all decide to go with these baggy
0: shorts and y'all promise y'all will win me games, then I'll do it. On the clothing. The shorts seem to be getting shorter. The socks are people wearing white socks again. Do you feel your legacy eroding away? Nah, that's just a couple of people.
3: Th- those are people that are actually trying to do that.
0: No, but you watch the you watch the NCAA tournament. Like John Morant, you know he's wearing shorts that are like a couple nah, inches above his knees. Nah, the people that are no? doing it. Are making a distinct effort to
3: say I want to wear short that's shorts. That's just fashion. Yes, that's yeah. just fashion. I mean, that's you only know, 15 years ago
2: we were all wearing huge baggy jeans. Then two years ago everyone had skinny jeans. It's just, that's just how it goes. Because once something becomes cool, it's not cool anymore. So you have to kind of zag. And, and yes. one thing I want to say about the legacy of this team is is prevalent in today's NBA. Is there's two words that have kind of been been popular this summer, player empowerment. Yeah. Player empowerment. Oh, Kawhi Leonard engineered Paul George. And Paul George had three years left in his contract and he forced the team to trade great him point. here. And I think that that in college basketball at the time it was I'm a great player. I like this coach. I'm going to go to the school and we'll see who else is going to be is going to, you know, be part of my class. There was never these guys having conversations without coaches involved, without other people saying the five of us are going to form a team and kind of forcing that team down Michigan's throat in we a way did. in a way that that wasn't happening in college basketball still hasn't happened in college basketball. That's since.
3: what what you just said is why we weren't embraced when we left because no. we forced it. You just said it. And it was like a firestorm of we want the popularity and we want the money, but we don't want them to be brash. We don't want them celebrating after every play. And the University of Michigan, like most major colleges, is really conservative. And all of a sudden, you have these five black players on the floor, and that made a lot of people uncomfortable that we were outspoken the way we were.
2: The cultural way that these young African Americans were, were playing the game, which was basically a street game transferred inside Chrysler Arena, was not the way that alumni were used to seeing Michigan basketball.
3: We got nasty letters from alumni in Michigan because of that. Very racist in tone and and proudly saying that they were Michigan
1: graduates. This is not, you know, the Michigan way. I think those things made us come together as a team. People trying to break us down from every angle, you know, that brought us together. It taught us this is brotherhood. This is the time when we all got joined together and came even closer as a family.
0: You mentioned at the beginning the efforts to get everyone on board. Um, How close was Chris to being on board for this? And then I guess do you want to talk at all about where things stand with him now? Sure. I sat with him at my loft in downtown L.A.
3: when the 30 for 30 projects just started. And I was showing him all of the projects that had happened and told him that I was pitching one that hopefully ESPN would pick up, are you down? He said, yeah. He was the first person I actually asked because I knew the backdrop. Um, Rand, Jimmy were down. Steve Fisher was down. Brian Dutcher. like Everybody was excited about doing it. And here's what I want people to pay attention to. From 1994 to 2011, Good, bad, or indifferent, we never said nothing about the Fat Five publicly, especially negative, or Chris Webber. Never. None of us. We were down like four flat tires. Whatever happened stayed amongst us. The documentary was a chance for everybody to let it go. And it would have been a great opportunity for C. Webb to do the same thing. And I'll never forget telling them, this is going to be the Bible of the story. This is your chance to sit in the room with me and say, "Huh, I thought I had a booger in my nose. I don't want that part. Oh, I don't like the way I said that. I don't like that part. I don't like my shirt. Let's shoot it again. Like This, this was our chance to be on the cutting room floor and own what took place. And as an adult, he chose not to. And I don't hold a grudge to him to doing it, but
0: I think it would have been a great opportunity for him. You think he still has a chance to come out and and talk and sort of say all those things? I think since Juwan is the coach,
3: at his time he will. And for me, that's not as important anymore because it didn't stop the avalanche. See, a lot of people felt like if if it's four of them, not five of them, then we can lock the door on them and uh, not let them in. But once Jawan kicked down the door and became the head of the, head coach of the team, all of that's over. The, her, the hatchet is buried as far as I'm concerned. All I'm going to do is follow our leader, Jawan. do whatever I can to support the program. And if I'm the only one at the game, cool. If all five of us at the game, cool. It don't even matter to me no more.
2: It's, it's over. I think one of the through threads of the movie, if I'm not mistaken, the bookend of the movie is the, the banners in the storage unit somewhere on campus. We gonna see those in the rafters. Probably
3: shouldn't say this. I don't care. Don't even matter to me no more. You're lying. I swear. You know you're my brother. I am not lying. You ain't heard me say none of. Them. I don't care. Because I'd rather see Jawan standing on the sideline than the banners hanging in the rafters. That's something that you gotta look at it this way. I saw that taken from me, easy, and nobody cared. And I probably shouldn't say this, but I don't bite my tongue. We didn't win it anyway. That's fair. So I don't care.
2: What about statues? No, nah, I want a statue. Okay, <laughs> I don't care about those, man. I just don't want. I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't want to have to wheel you out there for the statue celebration. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to have to explain to you while you're all broken. <laughs> you got dementia. You know what I mean? Just be like, Jalen, this is what it looks like. <laughs> right? This, you know I'm hundred and two bronze. Yeah, exactly. I don't like, <laughs> We got. We got to do this one. We can still celebrate afterwards. Okay. I <laughs> agree. I agree. I,
3: the University of Michigan doesn't owe me anything. I always felt like the thing that they owed me that they truly never could give me until they hired Juwan. Hmm. So I don't care about the Banners. The The only thing I care about is Steve Fisher's legacy. That's what I care about. Coach, Coach, Coach. Now, how do you feel when people say, you know, your team is very undisciplined? How does that make you feel, Coach?
0: Well, one, I know our players run discipline. But two, um, <laughs> I think I'm the greatest coach in the world. And four, the only reason we're here is because we're great coaches. Can we all have
3: $100?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Turn that camera off.
3: <laughs> I hate walking on that campus and don't see a picture of Steve Fisher anywhere. Don't see any type of tribute of him anywhere. Like, he won a championship in 89 as the head coach, he recruited the Fab Five and went to two more championships. He got as many championships as Tom Izzo, as Jim Beheim, as John Calipari, as Bill Self, as many championships as all of them. I wanna see Coach Fisher get into the Hall of Fame for what he accomplished. If the banners get hung, great.
2: The legacy for me
3: is a fantastic group of young people that are now a fantastic group of adults. When I have a great win, inevitably I'll get a call from one or two of them. When we have a tough loss, I'll get something. Hang in there, coach, you're doing a great job. The love is still there. They made me who I am, regardless of whatever happens in my life. That is as close as i
0: will get to blood brothers jalen rose and david jacoby you can watch them on espn2 every day and you can subscribe to the jalen and jacoby podcast and you should follow jacoby on instagram he's got really cute kids if you want to watch the Fab Five, you can find it and the entire 30 for 30 Film Archive on demand on our new streaming service ESPN+. Plus. Sign up for a free trial through the ESPN app or use the link in the episode notes. And that's it for this anniversary series. We did 10 episodes covering a bunch of films over the last 10 years. I had a really great time doing this. I learned a lot. We certainly covered a lot of my favorites. But I'm sure we missed some films. So if there are any that we didn't touch on that you love or you have any follow-up, let us know. You can find me on Twitter at jody Avergan, that's jody with a y or email us 30 for 30 podcasts at espn.com Special thanks to everyone who helped put this anniversary series together. Libby Geist, Aaron Leiden, Gentry Kirby, Jenna Anthony, Catherine Sankey, Jennifer Thorpe, Deirdre Fenton, Vin Anton, Jeff Arias, Samantha Dowd, Eve Wolf, Nina Ernest produced a number of these episodes. A big shout out to Mitra Kaboli for engineering help on all of these. And an even bigger shout out to Ryan Nantel, who helped take the lead on this whole endeavor, all while getting ready to become a new dad, which he just did. So congratulations to Ryan and his new family. And another shout out to Connor Shell, Bill Simmons, and John Dahl. Thank you for starting 30 for 30 10 years ago. Now, the exciting part. The next thing you will hear in this feed will be the trailer for our next big season of original audio documentaries. This one is almost two years in the works. It's a huge story. I think it's some of the best work we've done so far basketball, Los Angeles, race, scandal, the story has it all. It's really important and a great listen. So check back in about a week and you will know what I'm talking about. My name is Jody Avergan. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30 podcasts.